Welcome to the inaugural edition of Founders and Friends podcast in 2019. Before we get to a great podcast with David Bergeron T3 Advisors, quick shout out to Brex, our first official sponsor on Founders and Friends. Thank you, Brex. And for those who don't know, Brex is the first corporate credit card for startups. That's right. It's tailor-made for startups. The rewards are really awesome. They give you like multiples on ride sharing and travel and ordering in with all the food services. So it's great that way. And what I like about it even more is there's no personal liability. It's a huge deal. A lot of CEOs have to personally guarantee a credit card. I wouldn't recommend that. So Brex actually underwrites the company, the cash in the bank account, the spend, and makes it so the CEO or someone else doesn't have to personally guarantee the credit card. That is humongous. So that's one of the reasons like Brex. They also have great interfaces and integrations with QuickBooks and all the other tools that we use at Cruise Consulting. And again, I think the personal liability is just a huge thing. So please check out Brex. If you would like to get a free Brex credit card, no fee into perpetuity, just add the promo code CRUISE when you go through your application, K-R-U-Z-E. That is a free credit card if you sign up using Cruise. Thanks so much, Brex. And now on to a great podcast, Dave Bergeron. He's always a pleasure. Second time guest. This was a good one. Thanks. Welcome to Founders and Friends Podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. And today, my very special guest is David Bergeron of T3 Advisors. Welcome, David. Thanks for having me, Scott. You are one of a very select crew of two-time podcast guests. Do you? Are you going to go home and tell your wife about this or what? Throw a party? I go celebrate? I in- instantly update my LinkedIn profile uh, <laughs> under accomplishments and awards, I believe is probably a first order of business, <laughs> you know, and, and second will be certainly to tell my wife. So yes, I'll, I'll certainly do both. You have a wonderful wife who I get to work with sometimes, so I'm sure she'll be thrilled. So Watch when, it, watch it. When the cruise newsletter comes out, <laughs> she's going to be like, oh my God, my husband's famous. Wait, so you've been here before, but maybe you have a really interesting career trajectory where you, you joined T3 very early on and now built a huge West Coast presence. Maybe kind of talk about T3, where you guys were when you joined and... There's a lot of, you have, we met for coffee and that's the, that's what precipitated this podcast because you have all this cool stuff going on. Maybe talk about all the cool stuff. Definitely. No, no. And, and again, thanks again for having me. Uh, you know, obviously we're a huge fan of what you and Vanessa have built here and it's been, you know, infinitely valuable to my wife and her company um, as well as to a whole host of our clients and a number of companies out there that are trying to navigate this world in, in you know, very difficult ways, trying to grow their businesses, focus on people and their product and you guys have provided a pretty amazing solution. So thank you for having me. Ah, um, infinitely supportive. So thank you. As I think about our business, it's you know it's a pretty simple world that we operate in. You know, the the ethos and the reason that T three exists is fundamentally for the people that are building these innovative based companies. And our fundamental belief is that the pulling the right team together, uh, creating the right environment, that enables them to live and propagate the culture that founders and or business leaders want to see put into motion, which ultimately leads to a process developing a product that solves problems for end users, both in the enterprise and consumer stages, is is where we want to play. And that's where we want to be active and, and solving hard, thrashy problems and coming up with creative solutions to fast track these companies to, to success. You guys are like a, you guys are an expert in a very kind of unique component of a startup's life cycle. Like you guys know real estate better than anyone, just in the way same way you know accounting and taxes. And so you can be incredibly valuable to these companies because they they have instant access to an expert. It's really cool. No, that's right. And I think that we believe that that space helps you retain your best people that you found your company with. 
it helps you develop an environment that attracts the next subset of experts and practitioners that are going to push you you know to those and through those next milestones and it can be the most physical manifestation of your brand and your culture right so people walk in whether they're investors or future new hires or customers and they can experience what it would be like to be active in your ecosystem yeah. you know in some way shape or form in a way that really has a very strong sort of cerebral effect on that on that human yeah. and so there's a very core basic human element to kind of what we're doing you can look and touch and feel real estate in a way that um, so many things that we sort of deal with on a commercial basis, you can't. So we kind of love that element yeah. of it. And we love there's a, you know, there's certainly an art to it relative to, you know, the magic of the founder and that being lived through in the brand. And that's different for every company. But there's absolutely a science element and there's a lot of quantitative sort of data points we can point to and look at that like companies have applied in either successful or unsuccessful ways that we all should learn from. Yeah. And you guys are doing it in maybe like an old school industry. Like the, I, I, what I really like about you guys is like you take all this data and the analysis you do and you, you know the industry as maybe like a normal real estate uh, relationship would, but you also layer on a bunch of value added services, which I think like makes so much sense. Well, I appreciate that. And that, that's the intent, right? Yeah. And the hope was when the founder started this company in 2001 was to go out and change the way that real estate has traditionally been delivered to founders and leaders of the most innovative progressive companies on the planet. And that was no easy task, but I do believe that there's an element of doing it better. There's this element of getting rid of the status quo and, and changing sort of the, the stodgy traditional you know, closed room, smoke-filled room type of real estate dealings that we've sort of seen, yeah. you know, glamorized and, and, and featured in Hollywood and others, and really making it much more exposed, transparent, you know, expose the data and the opportunities that each of these companies should have access to, and sort of enable them to make their own decisions and empower them to have the information and make the best decisions yeah. for their companies at, you know, each point of, of time in their life. Sure. So maybe t tell, because you told us on the first time, but this is the quick version of you joining the firm, because didn't you join in like a terrible recession and yes. like, yeah, yeah. Do, do the quick, it's, yeah. it's just good. It's, no. It also just shows you like, <laughs> no matter how tough things are, you can it, you can make it work. No, I think that's right. And, and, and you know, I was, I, I came up here uh, this morning after spending time at my daughter's kindergarten class and the principal of her kindergarten school was, you know, focusing on kind of the eight or nine key components from an educational perspective they're trying to push at the, you know, in public schools today in California. And I loved how one of the, you know, the, the top thing on that list right now as a bullet point is sort of this idea of grit and perseverance and awesome. like, you know, getting back up. You know, yeah. I think there's this element of 21st century skill sets that go f so much further beyond, you know, the traditional reading, writing, STEM skills, like all these elemental things that we're, that we're sort of testing for through all the standardized testing and, and traditional programs have been designed for. But it, it often doesn't get to that, which is, again, you know, so I joined T3 coming off a very um, unillustrious and uncelebratory NFL career. That's right, I forgot, um, yeah. You, you, play, know, you play for football. Philadelphia? Play, yeah, I was drafted the Philadelphia Eagles um, in the seventh round. I was almost Mr. Irrelevant, which is the last pick of the draft. So I would have loved to get that, you know, that title because you also get a free car with that position. So I missed that, unfortunately, by like three or four picks. So the Eagles were, were dumb enough to pick me up, you know, at the end of the draft. Um, I you know spent a couple years bouncing around with the Carolina Panthers and the Tennessee Titans. One of the great experiences that came from that was I was able to go overseas and live in Cologne, Germany, playing for oh. uh, in, in NFL, the NFL Europe League for the Cologne Centurions, and made some fantastic friends. 
it was effectively my semester abroad, if yeah. you will, which I couldn't do when I was at Stanford yeah. because we were playing. Yeah. So I loved that whole experience. Met some amazing people. You can get, the cool thing about the NFL is you get instantly embedded in its communities in ways that people that have been there for 50 years could never do. Yeah. So the access and the influence and the ability to be involved in charities and you know kind of supporting community efforts and be hopefully sort of a, a, a brand that people and kids can aspire to be like and sort of act that way yeah. in in a local city is, is awesome. That's so amazing. loved all that. You know, wish that translated more to the football field. But you know, you know, you neither did, here you nor did, there. You're working with what you could work with. That's right. Know? That's right. You made so, it farther than me. Let's that's right. That way. I did. I did. So so I uh, then met uh, Roy Hirschland, who um, through actually my wife's aunt, Will York, who obviously was a, a, yeah. a colleague of yours for a long time. Uh, she introduced me to Roy as a, an opportunity to go network with someone who had built an incredible business or was building an incredible business and was wildly well connected to both you know, the tech ecosystem as well as the venture capital community. And that was um, you know, sort of an intersection that I was you know, very interested in. I uh, had no idea how or if I could add any value to that, you know, that overall ecosystem, but was certainly intrigued and wanted to find a way to you know, kick my way in. Yeah. And you also were like, you got to find kind of your first job and Absolutely. like, you know, establish yourself. And that's right. It's almost like no job at that point is a bad job. You, that's know, right. you just need to get in somewhere. That's and start, right. You that's know. right. Prove you're not just a dumb yeah. dead football player. So like, go do something. Yeah. By the so, way, it's not just you. It's that, like, I was the same way coming out of college. I didn't play football, but like, right. you, know, you just need to prove that you can like show up to work every day and do something. Someone's got to give you a shot. And yeah. so, and that's what that was. And, and so Roy, you know, we sat down in what I thought was going to be sort of a networking coffee meeting. And, um, you know, I budgeted 45 minutes for this meeting thinking I want to be respectful of the CEO's time. And fast forward almost two hours later, wow. I'm, you know, begging this guy to let me come work for him. And I was just, you know, so compelled and inspired by, again, this connection and intersection of working with these tech companies and these founders at some of their most sort of vulnerable stages understanding and bringing down to scale some of the learnings they'd have working with some of the largest tech names yeah. you know, in the business. And, and sort of being that catalyst of information and best practices to focus on what we all believe and what Bill Campbell you know, taught us early on when, when we you know, met with him and worked with him a bunch was you know, people are what matter most. And getting great people to sort of believe, follow, and trust is actually harder than it sounds. Yeah. And um, so much of that can be sort of confirmed and reiterated through real estate. And the decisions you're making to invest in your people through the lens of real estate can be wildly powerful. Yeah. And so I just love sort of the thought of that and, and the physical nature of space and be able to kind of tangibly look at it and, and sort of admire the beauty of it and identify the efficiencies as well as sort of this whole subcultural, you know, hard to measure, but everyone knows it's there sort of influence that happens when you try and grow team. So you said that was a really good uh, discussion there. I, uh, the thing I love when you're talking about kind of helping people at their most vulnerable or when they really need to make a decision. And like, that's what I actually love. Like we were just talking about this before turn the mics on. When you walked in, I was talking to a founder or 15 minutes before you about whether they, they have an acquisition offer and they are raising money. And which, which one do they do, you know? And it's like, that acquisition offer is gonna make this guy, like put him on easy street at least, you know? Or do you kind of go for the billion dollar business? And like, those are real kind of fundamental people decisions and they really look to you. And the same thing with what you do. Like, I'm sure you have these crazy conversations with people where they're trying to make a core decision around real estate and you, they really need you. And that, that's what resonates with me the most. It's like the most yeah. fun part of my job. Yeah, you know, we have a team of 
of experts and people that have very, very deep domain expertise around a lot of these hard questions that founders will ask. And you know, my job and our job and T3's job is to continue to sort of accrue this, you know, what I like to call Avengers of real estate approach to sort of solving these, you know, very specific problems for that founder. And that founder can be running a 30,000 person company or a three person company. And the decision is just as big, you know, in that moment. Yeah. And so our job is to make sure we're, we're fully educated and aware and can provide just context and you know, supporting anecdotes on either side to say, listen, like if you're going to make this decision, these are the these are the variables and factors that yeah. you and your management team and your investors should be aware of as they pertain to you know how this decision impacts you going forward. Yeah. And that's our job is to educate folks. Yeah, and how, talk about your, kind of your process because you do have access to a ton of data and you guys use that heavily in your process. Maybe walk me through like how you do that with a founder. Like how do you distill it down? How do you make sure they get kind of the key message and do you use anecdotes or how do you, often that's what I do. I say like, hey, here's a time in my career where it was similar to you and da 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 da. Is that how your guys, like how do you, because you have the combo of both. You have a ton of experience and a ton of data. How do you make that work? Yeah, and that's that's 17 years in the making, right? And that's part of what, you know, we've sort of synthesized down to our T3 method. And it's a, you know, very sort of collaborative, design-oriented, inspired kind of IDEO, spinoff type of idea, which is, there are a bunch of interesting variables out there. There's a lot of kind of anecdotal and um, observational um, experiences we need to go through with you. We need to understand what the ultimate end goal is, yeah. You know, whether it's the end goal in the next six months or the end goal in the next six years. What are we kind of ultimately trying to back into? Yep. And then us to overlay the like realities of the market, the realities of your current situation, the realities of how you're perceived from a financial perspective in the eyes of that landlord. You know, if that's interesting. That I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. yeah, you yeah. Know, I mean, again, you have to imagine like the, there's different sort of profiles for different ownership groups. There's, you know, you and I buy a building and, you know, we don't have any money and we don't have any cash. So like, yeah, like you want to move in. Great. I can't give you any money for tenant improvement allowance because yeah. I don't have any money. So and like, you want to get them in as soon as possible. That's right. So like there's that landlord. There's, you know, the private equity firm who goes out and, you know, they raise fund seven and they've raised a billion dollars and they're trying to deploy it into kind of strategic assets they can invest in from a CapEx perspective, improve, lease up, and then flip seven years later. Yeah. Understand that profile yeah. where they can like sort of, you know, give and take. And then there's the long hold REITs, right? The guys who are publicly traded, they're going to be around, you know, they've been around for 50, 50 years. They'll probably be around for another 50. You know, they have a very different, um, you know, limited partner owner that, that is looking for a certain type of return and a certain type of security yeah. out of kind of their assets. So you got to, you know, play the player, not the game, right? When That's really to, interesting. I love, I, I wouldn't have even started with, I, I didn't even think about that. Like the, the owner of the building that the startup is trying to lease, like that's a really good way of looking at it. Very different. And, and, and you're even seeing it in the size of deals that are being done. If you look back, you know, to sort of the last couple quarters of data in San Francisco specifically, you know, we're seeing deals that are sub, you know, 10,000 square feet or in that 10 to 50,000 square foot range. So like none of your mega deals, you know, an average lease right now, sort of in the $70 range, um, you know, on an industrial gross basis. If you, if you look at deals over 50,000 square feet, those, you know, there's almost, I think a 27% premium for the large deals, Really, which is like, Kind of doesn't make sense from sort of an economies of scale yeah, perspective. Yeah. Like, hey, if it should be the opposite. And Facebook, I would think whoever's leasing that is such a better credit. Facebook, if you're going to lease all of Park Tower at you know seven hundred fifty thousand square feet, you're paying one of the highest rates in the market, which is great credit. You're taking my whole building. Yeah, I can turn around and sell this thing and make a jillion dollars on yeah. it. 
and you're going to pay, you know, basically a top market number for that. Obviously, it's a great product. I can't believe that. Quality, That's how it works. Again, it's it's how it's working right now. It yeah. doesn't always work that way, yeah. but it's it's it is interesting that the smaller deals are being um, sort of nickel and dimed out more yeah. so to the startup community. While you have a, because there's now so much demand internationally, frankly, both with homegrown technology companies from the Silicon Valley and San Francisco, as well as all the international players now yeah. wanting to be here that everyone is trying to sort of like fend off the little guys and wait for the next Facebook to come along and take my entire building wow. and, and make my career, right? So so there's a lot of people kind of trying to play that, that that's sort amazing. of shell game, which is fascinating to watch. Wow, that's just, that really shocks me because the, the amount of work it takes to lease up like an entire building with a lot of little guys like us is just monumental, totally. you know? But I guess, is it the premium that like a Facebook or Amazon gets like having everyone in the same building and that's what they're paying for or, well, yeah, or the I mean, ease of use for them. That's right. And, and the reality of product with, you know, with prop M still on the books for the last, you know, 30 plus years, you can only develop the San Francisco, you know, San Francisco only allow 900 plus or minus 900,000 square feet of new commercial development to, to come online each year. Oh, I didn't know that. Jeez. So, you know, I mean, that's, that's like, you know, that's a little over one Facebook yeah, deal yeah, a year. Yeah, yeah, and so you yeah. imagine you think about, all of the big name companies now publicly traded, yeah. trying to you know to kick, stream, you know, scream and fight for the same talent, and trying to you know they all have you know headcount projections that have them you know, know. doubling headcount in San yeah. Francisco. Like, well, are you really going to hire three thousand yeah. people in San Francisco next year? Like, yeah. I mean, you know, good luck. But you know, that, there's also a bunch of other companies that have a lot of money, have a great product, have a great story, and are trying to grow in the same city, and it's still seven by seven miles. I know. You know, and we can still only build a million square feet of commercial space a year. So, we got 82 million square feet of, like, sort of proper commercial space. And, and next year's only gonna be 82.9? That's right. You know, so it's like, it's not <laughs> That's growing insane. Fast, you know? By the way, as someone who's trying to buy a home right now, I'm struggling <laughs> with the same exact thing on mm -hmm. the home buying front. It's like, there's no supply. No, no difference, which, which is why you're seeing so many companies, I think intelligently, and we're helping a ton of folks with this right now. It's, you know, how do we develop our HQ2 strategy similar to what Amazon's ah, done? Yeah. Right? And, and, and it's been fascinating to work with dozens of companies looking at, we're a thousand people in San Francisco, we want to be 3,000 people in the next three years. We understand that that's likely not going to happen yeah. when we're competing with the fangs of the world here locally. Yeah. We need to now go to a new market and find you know, a wealth of talent, a cost of living that's a third of here, yeah. you know, a direct flight within 90 minutes from SFO or Oakland, and, you know, and, and potentially even a boat of incentives that we can come and, and, and receive for creating jobs in these yeah. new markets. And so what, what markets are you seeing? Because we're, so on a small scale, we're doing a lot more remote hiring, and it's actually been working fabulously well because we're just getting kind of higher, more talented or more experienced people, really, not talented, just more experienced. And for a lower price point, it really works for us. It's it's a little harder to manage. We're tilting the business that way, but I completely I completely understand why these companies are doing that. The bigger ones, where are you where are you seeing? Is it like Boise and Portland, yeah. and Utah, or it's what's... it's again it's all the usual suspects that you yeah. would think of. You know, we've we've actually we've hired a whole team of folks now that are doing just this. I mean, it's an important enough issue, and the numbers are meaningful enough yeah. to a bunch of our growth clients that we've taken this very seriously as, yeah. as in some ways, sort of the, the almost the future when it comes to really intelligent real estate strategy yeah. around hiring and scaling a, a tech company. Yeah. And you can be based here and, and you know your kind of core innovation team be here, sort of in the flow of all the things that has made this community and ecosystem so powerful from you know, uh, a progressive perspective of, of starting the next great idea. 
but the reality is like it's just it, the, to your point the cost of living has gotten insane the traffic has gotten insane yeah. you know the inability to actually develop fast enough is is becoming stifling to yeah. the growth of these companies and like they're gonna have to iterate or die sooner rather than later when it comes to this problem and yeah. so basically we've built an entire sort of process and scorecarding system where we say let us sit down and really understand the 20 most variables that are going to impact the success or mm-hmm. failures of this business going forward and look out five years. Very smart on the scorecard. Yes, love scorecards. Yes, love scorecards. Yeah. And, and then basically overlay that with a bunch of proprietary information and systems we've developed and algorithms that come up with a methodology for, you know, of the categories that we are evaluating, you go down sort of each of the 20 and you will start to kind of narrow the funnel with you know every successive category to say, all right, we're gonna start looking at you know five thousand cities, and we'll quickly get to six yeah. that actually you know satisfy eighty five percent of your criteria, and then within that, that's cool. So you have a scattering report on each city. Absolutely, it's it's economic based, it's talent based. You know, we have the ability now to identify developers that can write in a certain certain code language and understand their poachability to leave to go work for a new company within the next six months at an 80% accuracy. Wow. So like this has gone from being like taking, you know, census data that was done nine yeah. years ago, eight, nine years ago, to actually like real time sort of like intelligence around not just like the macro community you're gonna enter in, but literally who are the humans we're gonna yeah, chase that's and go really cool. And so that, you know, this is changing yeah, Ultimately that's what it is all, people are doing it to find talented people. Absolutely. So that's Absolutely. really smart. And so wow. if we can do it in a way that, you know, you find the talent, which is the whole reason you're doing it, at a lower cost basis and even get money on top of that from yeah. you know the local municipalities or the state or the feds yeah. for kind of going and creating these jobs like this is a win every way wow also the other thing that i always point out to founders because sometimes founders they want us to be in san francisco new york or santa monica we are but like i always kind of point out to them gently that tech founders specifically are the best at adopting tech other technology for their business so like slack zoom right you know all these things that make working kind of remotely but being very tight together works so well now and everyone's kind of doing it and so it's really it's really just a lot of preconceptions is really what's blocking more remote hiring so well, that's right and i think that you know we built our offices and we built a lot of our corporate structures based on the way it was done yeah, before. Exactly and right. and by the way, that dates back to like the way the Catholic Church was structured and the way that, you know, like governments were created. Like it really I mean it's actually yeah. fascinating to go back in time and say, like, why do we have these hard why is the army structured that way? Yeah. You know, we, and it's it's great to kind of kind of think about that and extrapolate to like where we are today and yeah. what our version of hierarchy looks like and yeah. why. And you're absolutely right. Like all that's being blown up overnight with again the advent of Slack and the ability to have a Zoom call and you know the ability to tether to my phone in the middle of a desert effectively yeah. and have my you know MacBook Pro like be humming like full speed. You know what I mean? Like this was not a yeah. thing even through this podcast. Ago. I told you, I'm like, you can just record this from the peninsula if you want <laughs> remotely. Like right. no one's gonna know. Right. Like we will stare at each other on Zoom and it's the exact same thing, you know? So it's like, yeah, it's everything. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think, but what that has enabled is, again, this whole change in how do we think about the workplace and what is the value of physically being together actually answering in terms of enabling communication and collaboration? Yeah. Are we actually working better together when we're together? What are these tools allowing us to do in terms of diversification of geography 
but still be wildly productive towards those end goals yeah. around creating a great product yeah. or a great customer experience. And so, and this has all been like the top's been blown off of this. And, and you're having to kind of rewrite history around what does it mean to kind of grow and scale? And there's like fantastic companies, Automatic and GitHub and others who are like proving you can do this at yeah. scale in a wildly efficient manner and still maintain an incredibly tight community and culture. Yeah. And so, you know, I think if you don't have an answer for this stuff, you're gonna lose the best talent going yeah. forward, period. Yeah. And not that everyone's answer needs to be the same, but you need to be able to offer this to the next great new hire because yeah. everyone else or the other competitors that have job openings will, and you're gonna lose. Yeah, that's amazing, I love it, that's such good. Okay, so I love what you said the T3 method too. Like that's all this data analysis you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So maybe just walk me through like, I sign up with you. I'm a, I'm a like what a pre-IPO company. Is you like what's your target market? Is it pre-IPO? Yeah, I mean, so we're, our whole idea and concept is to be innovation-based companies that are trying to set out to change the world, regardless of size. We yeah. want to be helping. Yeah, and so that can be like I said, you know, the three-person startup that just got their seed funding, but you know, we believe has the right investor set, has the right founding team, is in the right market, and sort of poised to experience that hyper growth yeah. and can really benefit we from do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. We want to be there at day one, you know, yeah. don't care how small the deal is, what the fees are, like that's the last thing yeah. we're thinking about. All the way up to, you know, Fortune 50 companies wow. that are trying to solve like some really complex amazing. and, you know, specific problems around, you know, uh, where to be and why and, and, and how do we think about a lot of the sort of, you know, uh, center of excellence and how do we sort of portray the right brand to you know all of our fortune 500 customers yeah. in a way that does show that we're not stodgy and stuck in the past yeah but we're progressive and innovative and can think you know like that 25 entrepreneur who's setting out to change the world yeah. even though if we're a hundred year old company and so yeah. we have those guys coming to us all the time asking for you know help us think about sort of reinventing you know what we're doing to stay relevant and you know, there's a reason that a lot of these old companies are, are still around. Like yeah. they, they're some of the it's first to innovate. Yeah. Yeah. Like they, you know, and, and you know, I was at a uh, talk the other day and Diane Green talked about this. She's like, these guys have not died because they are willing to do this. And yeah. historically we've assumed that they're not, or they're going to be the last to adopt. And you know, if you really start to, you know, kind of pull back the covers, you identify that these, you know, some of these guys have been around for a hundred or 150 years yeah. have had to do this 20 times. Yeah. So like they're as good at this as anyone, you yeah. know, even and, like and Amazon and Google have, re yeah. have different business units that have nothing to do with their core businesses. Totally. And, you know, that's exactly And, how and it it's, you know, and, and, and Bezos talks about that all the time. Like he's, he's one of the best in history to ever be like step back and truly ask himself and answer the question, like what business am I in? Yeah. And, and not be like, you know, hard headed around, I'm selling books, that's all I'm gonna do for like till the yeah. end of time, but really like recognizing, am I in the logistics business? Am I in sort of the, you know, platform business? Yeah. Am I in the, you know, the, the data center business? Yeah. I mean, these are all like extrapolations that like I will never ever understand, but like you can kind of now reflect on and witness that this guy, you know, was seen around corners that no one else, you know, can see around. As we record, the building across the street from us is the giant Twitch building, you know, that like who, who would have thought 20 years ago Amazon would own like the biggest YouTube Right, the gaming streaming company. Right, you know? it's just like it's crazy. No, yeah. yeah, they are they are equal parts impressive and terrifying yeah. in terms of like their reach <laughs> and and you know every once in a while I'll be sitting there you know eat my breakfast on a Sunday morning I look over at Am the the Amazon Echo and I'm like what the hell are you listening to? Totally, totally like, listening what, to me. What do you now know about <laughs> totally me? Totally listening that, to that me. You should know. Totally you know, listening. So. I we do the same thing. <laughs> I love what you guys are doing. That's a really good synopsis. Mm -hmm. talk, a couple of things we also want to talk about: real estate tech, which I find fascinating. Yeah. So we were joking before we turned on the mics because like there's so much money going into some of these real estate tech plays, and some of them make complete sense to me. Some feel like we're 
again, joking a little snidely that they feel like the kind of late stage plays that aren't going to be able to, they'll get stuck at late stage and not be able to IPO because mm-hmm. the mechan- the multiples or they won't have enough momentum. Like, what are you seeing out there? Where yeah. Where's T3 playing in this yeah. market? You know, I, I mean, we, we joke that, oh, the idea of like having people hang out our office and like charging them, you know, and do a little co-working space, like could be a great business 20 years ago. And of course, like, we weren't smart enough yeah, or bullish we didn't enough do it. to yeah. actually do it. So like, there's like me and everyone else had an idea. They're like, oh, I knew this way back when. Yeah. I, if I was only, you know, you know, had, had a little more gusto, I would have done yeah, this. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so, so there's things like that that are fun to sort of, you know, tongue in cheek about and, and, and think about, you know, what we were thinking about 5, 10, 15, 20 yeah. years ago as it relates to this stuff. But I will say, you know, from my perspective as like a proponent and advocate of sort of all things real estate and sort of the ability for it to empower people to produce better product. You know, I think there it's an awesome time right now to sort of be in the prop tech world. And as you think about, you know, everything from the energy efficiency and sort of the building sustainability considerations mm. from a, you know, sensoring and technology perspective. Yeah. Now, you know, before we know, we're going to have a sensor in everything. Yeah. All these chairs, this desk, that computer, that piece of art will all have the ability to um, adapt and change the environment to you and I sitting in yeah. and sort of making this optimized for our experience. So it, that stuff I think is amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there are elements of what we're seeing from kind of a platform perspective in terms of a proliferation of information, right? So it's it's what it, you know, it's what Zillow and Redfin and, and you know all the open door and all these other guys are doing from kind of like how do we how do we funnel better, higher quality, actionable information direct to the consumer? Yeah. You know, these are all things that are like wildly successful and we're seeing across fintech and all like all these other platforms. I love Open Door because they're it feels like they're taking another step, which is acting on the information on their own behalf. My friend's general counsel, so I'm Absolutely. totally by in former podcast guest yes. Stevens but like they're taking that information and then buying stuff with it yeah that's like Zillow and Redfin feel like version 1.0 and then Open Doors like version 2.0 it, no it feels question. like that opportunity is around everywhere oh yeah you know, in real estate especially no I think that's right and and you know and Keith and Eric that whole founding team at Open Door has done a fantastic job yeah. of building a monster of a business that I, 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 you know, from every measure will be wildly successful yeah. given what they're doing. And I think given how disciplined they've, they've been around being, again, quant and data focused yeah. around the decisions. Yeah. Real estate traditionally, both on the residential and commercial side, has been wildly emotional, yeah. right? Yeah. It's like there's That's no, why there's such big swings, Yeah, right? like there's yeah. no rhyme or reason to yeah. it. And someone gets, you know, real excited about a, you know, a new sub-market in the city and all of a sudden, like, it blows up for yeah. no, I mean, for no reason, right? Yeah. And, and so... You know, I think there's elements of sort of supply and demand that are played that are, you know, are, are as fundamental as they can be when it comes to something as basic as real estate. But I also think there's, you know, there's other things here where, you know, on the service side with, you know, with the, I mean, the advent of WeWork, I mean, the, you know, 800 pound gorilla in this space, you know, I think what they've done, in my opinion, which I am like wildly appreciative of them for, is they finally stepped up and said, all right, the relationship between traditional landlords and the private equity firm profile of, holding you know, long-term leases, trying to lock people up with great credit for a seven plus year term is complete bullshit for most companies. And we need to change what that landlord-tenant yeah. relationship looks like in a way that actually works for the companies that are being built today. Yeah. And they have done that. They have said, listen, we will trick it out. We'll get your wiring all set up. You'll have furniture. And if you want to stay for six months, great. 12 months, great. You want to stay for three years? We can adjust and adapt to you and what your needs are as a company. And if things go south, we also have a plan B for that as well. So, you know, they are finally the ones to sort of get it and recognize the needs of growing a real business from the the seat of a founder. We're we're huge fans. We used to have a San Jose WeWork office 
Vanessa and I were just in Austin 10 days ago for the whole week working out of WeWork where our Austin team works out of San Francisco. We're going to go back to WeWork eventually. And you touched on it, actually marrying the services with the just building. People don't, I, I know I was one of these people. I didn't realize how much work it was to manage an office and all the service providers that, that do something like our Comcast bill is crazy mm -hmm. and our janitorial bill is crazy yeah. and the bathroom broke last week and we, me and Tatiana spent three hours on, you know, like all this stuff happened and they're like, at WeWork, you don't have to do that. And yeah. it's actually like cheaper. It's yeah. crazy. Like it just makes so much sense. Those guys really nailed it. There's, a, there's some other great companies in the space, you yeah. know, like for, you know, every Uber, you'll have a lift. And like, yeah. I, so I think there will be, you know, a, a second act and others yeah. that will sort of rise up in this. It's not a winner take all type yeah. market, I don't believe. You know, so Notel is doing a fantastic job right now. You're seeing Industrious do this. Yeah, we have even, a client Recharge is doing some Yeah, really Recharge cool is doing yeah. this. Yeah. I've, even, I've even been impressed. I was in, in Nashville recently and um, checked out, Regis has sort of relaunched and rebranded under kind of a parent company entity still has the traditional Regis product for, you know, you know, lawyers and, and you know, some, some traditional kind of like service folks yeah. that want a private office and yeah. don't really want, you know, kegs on tap and, yeah. and you know, you know, whatever, all the other kind I of think we work will be less fratty though, like even like I think it will too. Yeah. I think it will too. But, but again, so Regis has, has spun off a new version called Spaces that is doing, a, I think, a really great job of addressing this you know, millennial type of employee um, experience in a way that's gonna work. And so my only point is like, you know, I actually don't care who wins. I just believe that the industry is winning as a whole yeah, yeah, as yeah. it relates to finally doing it right. Yeah. And and I think, you know, fundamentally that's not gonna go away. People are concerned about, you know, if, if there's a big downturn, what kind of what does ultimately happen to some of these companies? There'll be a washout. Like the, like when there's a downturn, there's a washout in every industry. I remember the sublease rates in 2008 because I we were at Lighthouse doing a lot of deals, and like people were paying nothing for their office space because oh, yeah. it was like the lowest marginal cost. You know, totally. So the same thing will happen again. It I actually think WeWork will do fine because a lot of people will leave their big office right. and go into a WeWork. And there's a, sort of there's gonna be a cost. flight to quality and a yeah. flight to sort of efficiency yeah. and, and simplicity and flexibility yeah. and and they actually have done both they're in great buildings they have great product they're in like CBDs so you're that kind of like urbanization you know trend we've been seeing yeah. in the last 15 years will continue to benefit them yeah. in addition to you know you can sign a three month deal yeah. or if you may not make payroll in six months you can you can make that all work yeah. so. You know, I think that I think that will all continue to happen. I also I don't think we've seen the counterpunch from the incumbent, by the way. Oh, interesting. I think that you know, there's a lot of very very smart people that understand exactly what's happening. If you're a big REIT yeah. or if you're one of these private That's equity holders, really like so, don't pretend like they're not going to have a second act here that yeah, will yeah, yeah, yeah. that will provide. And again, these guys own the real estate. Yeah, they don't, they don't lease the real estate. Yeah. So you talk about you know, kind of pulling the bottom out in terms of a cost structure. When things get competitive, you know there could be that's really sort fascinating. Of a, a race to the bottom yeah. a little bit in terms of land grabs. So the the like theoretically the incumbents who own the property can price lower than because they're not layering on the service I level. Mean, yeah, you know, some of these some of these folks have no debt on these buildings. Yeah. I mean like so yeah they can literally give it away or lose money on wow. it. You know I mean just to win market share and then have all those people as tenants in their buildings and then when the market comes roaring back, you know, make that really so, smart. You know, it'll be, like I said, what I care about is the end user, the tenants, our clients, they're gonna be the ultimate yeah. winners in that, you know? And so I think this is, like I said, a trend that's got a lot of positive impacts for building companies here in the Bay Area and beyond. Yeah, awesome. We are uh, approaching the end of our time. Thank you so much. Maybe just, first of all, this is an awesome podcast. You should, be, you should do like lots of podcasts. You're really good at this stuff. <laughs> I, that was like 35 minutes, it just flew by. Maybe tell everyone where they can find you, where they can find T3 and Definitely. find your sweet spot. 
Yeah, no, so uh, you can find, my name is David Bergeron, I'm the president of T3 Advisors. Uh, you can find uh, our website is just t3advisors.com, which we just relaunched a couple months ago, so we're pretty, nice. pretty excited about Good the rebrand and, and relaunch of that. You know, I think that the way to think about T3 is think about an outsourced real estate department. So uh, some of the hardest and most complex problems that companies are facing often are tied to people and space and growth. And traditionally, there hasn't been a lot of transparency or good data about there available to these end users. It's all been sort of structured and designed to benefit the owners, the landlords, yeah. the traditional um, sort of like large clients with all the money. And you know, our mission is to sort of change that equation and, and put the power back in the hand of those end users, enabling those management teams and their investors to make really data-rich, sound, fully educated decisions around how to best grow their businesses. Yeah. I love the outsourced real estate department. Yeah. That, is, that is beautiful. You'll, you, that's makes so much, so much sense. Um, David, thank you so much for coming by. We'll do number three next year. Can't number wait. Number three podcast. Awesome. Always All a right. pleasure. All right, buddy. Thanks. Thanks, Appreciate Scott. It. Thanks for listening to that awesome podcast with David Bergeron. He's such a great guest. He's really funny and always fun to interview. And before we wrap up, quick shout out to Brex. Thank you again, folks, for sponsoring Founders and Friends. Brex is the first corporate credit card for startups, tailor-made for startups. You see it in the multiples on their rewards. You see it in no personal liability for the CEO when they sign up. They don't have to personally guarantee the credit card. That is really, really important. They have great integrations with QuickBooks and all the other tools that we use. And they just make it really easy, especially for like departmental spend. I find that's one thing that people really love it for. Like if you're going to give your marketing team a certain amount of money to spend, use Brex to do it. They get tapped out. After they spend all that money that you gave them, no more. And you can dynamically change the limits so your marketing team can turn the spigot back on when you need it. But anyways, Brex is fantastic. We see it growing quite a bit. And uh, please check it out. If you type in Cruise, K-R-U-Z-E, when you go through the application, you'll get a free credit card. Hope you check it out. Thanks again, Brex, and thanks for listening to the podcast with David Bergeron.